0: It's a missed opportunity not to have used this situation to propose improvements in the EU lobby to transparency register. The
1: <laughs> there has been a refusal to really change attitudes within leadership, particularly in the European Parliament, and that's really worrying. You're listening to EU Watchdog Radio.
2: Hi, welcome. I'm Joanna Lassin, officer at Corporate Europe Observatory, or CEO. In this episode of EU Watchdog Radio, I will talk to my colleagues Olivia Houdemann and Vicky Kahn about what has changed in one year since the Qatargate scandal broke. Gate, of course, is a still ongoing political scandal involving allegations that members and former members of the European Parliament Some of their assistants and members of their families engaged in corruption by the governments of Qatar, Morocco and Mauritania. What happened in one year?
0: At first, after the scandal broke, it really looked like there would be a serious investigation by the parliament itself and a serious scrutiny of of what had happened and and what had gone wrong and what the lessons uh, to learn were. And, um, and that there would be a, like a really major breakthrough in, uh, in the rules around lobbying and in the ethics rules of the parliament and the enforcement of that. And overall that's been quite disappointing then to see how, how relatively little has changed.
2: There hasn't been an inquiry from the European Parliament to go into the details of this scandal the basics of what happened in terms of undue influence by repressive regimes in the European institutions. Uh,
0: The decision was made not to have an inquiry committee of that kind, so then, of course, also you you cannot really draw the full lessons if you haven't gone deep into the substance of what the scandal meant for the European Parliament, so that's really disappointing. And then the whole reform process, uh, after some great plenary resolutions, and a lot of commitments by leading meps then it it soon went downhill downhill in terms of the actual political will to change things and by um, by the time by summertime it was clear that there w- there would be some changes but not of the kind that a scandal like this really requires
2: there has been progress in terms of lobby transparency by meps in the sense that all meetings with lobbyists Including those from third countries now have to be disclosed.
0: That's important, and it's possible to to kind of scrutinise who's meeting with who, and thereby also detect some patterns in where influencing might be uh, of a a problematic kind. But the 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 lack of progress has really been in the the area of of ethics um, and in of, of transparency around the financial declarations of MEPs so um, the uh, MEPs have to disclose more information about their financial interests but the first five thousands is exempted so only if it's an amount higher than that uh, will they have to uh, disclose it and also uh, those MEPs who have a second job as a consultant or as a lawyer they don't have to disclose the clients, so all of these kind of really important information that's there to uh, that that could help to detect undue influence um, is is going to be still missing. And then really crucial is that there won't be, uh, as it looks now, any improvement in the actual implementation of the rules. The, you no know, independent oversight. Um, and you, the Ethics Committee in the European Parliament will still not have any external members in it, so there's a big risk that the actual enforcement of the rules remains weak. So even if the rules have improved on some, on some points, if they are not properly enforced, it, it will not help really to prevent undue influence. So the overall picture is, is quite disappointing.
2: Before we talk to my colleague Vicky Khan, I was wondering particularly why the measures discussed in the European Parliament were not approved, leading to such a disappointing outcome.
0: It was a really important opportunity uh, to to make the kind of progress that is clear has been needed for many years in, in, uh, in regulating the, the relations with lobbyists, but also uh, other steps to prevent undue influence and the risk of corruption. And, I mean, it, it's important to then look at why did things go wrong, why were these original promises not fulfilled Mm -hmm. and then it's a very clear pattern where mainly uh, conservative MEPs and also MEPs from the far right they voted down a lot of the important reform proposals so it's as simple as that Um, they um, uh, were determined to weaken the level of ambition in the reforms and and then that that's what happened so you got a, a kind of compromise outcome that's just not good enough
2: Vicky has been researching two cases of potential conflicts of interest by two MEPs from Germany and the way her questions have actually been handled by the European Parliament show that Qatargate was a lost opportunity not only in terms of changing rules. But I also detect that there has
1: been a a refusal to really change attitudes within leadership, particularly in the the European Parliament in in this case, and that's really worrying. And I guess the examples that I'm thinking of there are two um, cases that we sent to President Metzeler of the European Parliament during the past year to raise concerns about conflicts of interest among two MEPs, in these particular cases, both MEPs are lawyers, and they have um, um, legal jobs additional to their um, to their MEP work. Um, the MEPs are um, Axel Voss and um, Angelika Niebler. They both work for law firms on the side. They receive up to 5,000 euros a month for this work. We do not know who their clients are, um, but we do know about some of the, the work that either they do for the law firm or, for example, the work that the law firm does more widely. So in the case of Mr. Voss, for example, he works for a, uh, a law firm on the side and He is listed on that law firm website as working on issues around um, media law, but also uh, data protection. Well, in the European Parliament, uh, Mr. Voss is very well known for his work on uh, data protection and on related issues like artificial intelligence. And so we think that there is a, a conflict of interest between, on the one hand, working for a law firm on these issues, but on the other hand, working in the European Parliament on these issues. And we, our interpretation of the rules is very much that these conflicts of interest should be acknowledged, they should be recognized, and they should be dealt with. We found no evidence that that was, um, that that was the case. And as I say, when we raised this case with um, President Metzola, Uh, we had no response whatsoever from her, which is very worrying. In the other case, which was of um, Angelika Niebler, she also works for a law firm, again, with a monthly salary of up to €5,000. She has been very prominent in... MEP work around a very important file working its way through the EU institutions called the Corporate Sustainability and Due Diligence file.
2: That very long jargon Vicky just mentioned refers to a very important file which aims at making sure European companies take responsibility for their supply chains in Europe, but also overseas and to try to make sure there is no human rights or environmental abuses all the way throughout their supply chains. Um,
1: Her law firm is an American law firm and actually is quite well known for taking cases on behalf of big US companies um, that are very much... Um, about when uh, communities perhaps in the global south are raising concerns about human rights or environmental impacts and her law firm acts on behalf of the big companies. Now, we do not remotely say that Miss Niebler is directly involved in that work, not at all, but there is a structural conflict of interest there and regarding her, uh, her other job, side job as well, that we think merits some investigation. President Metzeler acknowledged our complaint that we sent in April 2023, but since then we have heard nothing about it. We have heard nothing on either case about whether investigations are ongoing, about whether investigations have been completed, whether any what the findings were, whether there were any punishments or whether they have totally disregarded our complaints. We know nothing about how the European Parliament has handled this, and that, I think, is extremely worrying.
0: The, the European Commission uh, reacted to the gate scandal with um, a proposal for um, uh, in, improving um, the role of, of foreign influencing uh, on EU decision making, mm-hmm. so as part of a bigger package of, of measures they w- they were proposing to have um, uh, national level registers of foreign influence, so f- uh, foreign funding, non-EU funding for organizations in Europe should be disclosed in these national level registers. Inspired by the American system? Yeah. Yes, exactly, by uh, U- the US uh, Foreign Agents uh, Registrations Act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, of course, it's not a bad idea to have transparency around uh, funding flows. That's a very good idea. Um, But the Commission should have uh, done something, uh, should have had something else at the center of its proposal, and that is to finally make the EU's lobby transparency register mandatory and actually covering um, uh, the influencing by non-EU governments. So at the moment, if you go to the lobby transparency register, you won't get information about... Uh, the influencing efforts of, for example, the Qatar government. It's, it's not in there because the register is not binding and it just doesn't catch all the important forms of lobbying. So the, the first thing to do is to do an overhaul of the lobby transparency register, make it mandatory, make sure that it covers all forms of influencing. That would have been a logical first step. And then uh, it would have been a logical second step to try to make to, to have similar registers in all of the EU member states some EU member states have those have lobby registers, but most don't. Um, so you could have had this, it, w- it would actually have been a great moment to for the Commission to launch a proposal for lobby registers in all EU member states. Mm-hmm. So then instead of doing these two important uh, uh, things, or making these uh, important reforms, they proposed something uh, very narrow, which is... Um, national level registers and only of of foreign influence through funding um, not a more general lobby register that, that that covers everything.
2: The problem with this is that it can very easily be abused by the authoritarian governments we already have in
0: the European Union. Uh, the Hungarian government for example has tried before to have a national level um, foreign influence register and, and the goal of that was to uh, basically be able to to bully civil society groups that are inconvenient for Orbán's regime and and that proposed law was there was pushback from uh, from the European Commission against that so it's very ironic that they are now proposing a national level register of, of this kind that can that can really um, uh, endanger uh, the the rights and the and the and the freedom of civil society groups also in countries where, where these rights are at, at risk so there was a a a strong pushback from civil society organizations against this proposal and the commission has now gone back and and is coming out with a new proposal we'll have to see what that looks like but basically it it, it's it's a missed opportunity not to have used this situation with this uh, unprecedented scandal to propose improvements in in the eu lobby transparency register itself and and in and create momentum for lobby registers in, in the Member States as well.
2: The use of Qatargate to attack civil society also happened at the European Parliament when the EPP in the far right tried to change the narrative around Qatargate as a scandal about NGOs and not repressive regime interference.
0: But the Qatargate scandal was about uh, MEPs and MEP assistants and former MEPs um, uh, helping uh, repressive regimes with influencing your decision-making. So the focus of of the discussion should have remained on the repressive regimes and how they actually try to influence decision-making. We have done a lot of research in in CEO on how repressive regimes uh, tend to do their influencing. Mm -hmm. And there's a very clear pattern is that they are um, using uh, consultancy firms, PR firms and think tanks primarily and NGOs uh, are only very rarely involved uh, in any way, so so there is no uh, there's no evidence. Well, the evidence points to the to the opposite of what the EPP and the far right were claiming was the relevant discussion after Qatargate. So uh, yeah, so it's a very unfortunate um, indeed, a very opportunistic uh, um, attempts by by the EPP group and, and the far right to change the the course of the debate.
2: Before we conclude, Vicky told me also the consequences that this kind of discredit of the European institutions can have leading up to the European elections that will happen six months from now and what changes should be done until then.
1: So I think the cases um, that we have raised here, the cases of MEP Voss and MEP Niebler, are different from the Qatargate cases, of course, but in the light of Qatargate, you would expect that um, the parliamentary authorities would be really vigilant about investigating any allegations of conflicts of interest or possible wrongdoing. And that's not what has um, apparently happened here as far as as far as we are concerned. And when I look at Politico, for example, this week, which has been running lots of news stories with new findings about Gate, they've received a cache of leaked documents. They are thinking that the, um, the Gate conspiracy goes much deeper than originally thought. We know that there were a number of named and unnamed parliamentary figures involved some elected, some unelected, and it's still being uncovered now. So why in that case are the parliamentary authorities not willing to engage with people who are raising other different concerns about conflicts of interest? It's it's really worrying. And in the run-up to the European parliamentary elections, when we can already see across Europe that there is disaffection amongst elected politicians, including from established parties, and how that disaffection is driving some people wrongly, but is driving some people towards far-right politicians because they think that they can offer something different, something disruptive, then that should give us extra cause for concern, I think. And, and with only six months to go in the European, before the European elections, I think the European Parliament really could be doing much, much more to try to rebuild faith between the public and elected politicians by taking these sorts of claims seriously, by doing proper investigations and then reporting back on them, If there's nothing to see here, okay, but let's find out if the investigations have happened and what, if any, action has been taken, because we think these cases are actually quite serious and could well be indicative of a number of other concerns in the European Parliament when we have so many MEPs with second jobs on the side and where there are concerns that some might be creating a conflict of interest with their work as a parliamentarian. So looking to the future, um, there is six months left of this European Parliament, then we will have the the, the European elections. And I hope that we can see a a new round of of better and improved rules agreed by the, the new intake in June 2024. We need to toughen up the regime around second jobs and around conflicts of interest and around many other areas in the European Parliament, reforms that failed this time, but which could and should come back uh, in the future. But we also need, I think, a change of attitude, a a, a cultural change in the, the European institutions across the board, but including in the European Parliament as well, that... Doesn't just dismiss cases as one off examples of, of bad apples, but which really drills down, takes allegations and concerns and complaints seriously, and which tries to inculcate a, a culture of doing the right thing, behaving ethically, following the rules, yes, but perhaps going a, be above and beyond that as well, so we can have transparent, accountable ethical um, politicians as well i think that's what everyone who is standing for office for next year should really be striving for
2: we have come to the end of this podcast thank you so much vicky and olivier and if you like this podcast and you value the work of ceo please help us stay independent sign into our newsletter at corporate and follow us on social media till next time bye bye